turn once more to Luke chapter 2. Yesterday morning, we heard a sermon on chapters, on verse 7. I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 8 and read through verse 35 of Luke 2. So this is immediately after Jesus was born and laid in the manger. Then Luke 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles in the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, the sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I call our attention to verse 19, which is the text for the sermon this morning. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we read in verse 18 of Luke 2 that the people of Bethlehem who heard the testimony of the shepherds wondered at those things that were told them by the shepherds. We might imagine them saying something like this, what a wonderful story, what an amazing story you have told. But then it was good night to the shepherds and the doors to their houses were closed. They did not go to see this child lying in the manger. They did not glorify God and praise him for the things that they had heard and seen, or at least we don't read of this. They only wondered, wondered, and then moved on with their lives. That response of Bethlehem is mirrored by much of the celebration of Christmas that takes place in the world today. What a wonderful story, people say. What a wonderful story about angels singing and a baby being born. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful idea about peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Some might even show up in a church building on Christmas as a part of their wondering at this story. But soon the sentiment fades and it's back to business as usual once the holidays are passed. Wonder is not the same as faith in the Son of God who came to save his people from their sins. That wonder of the people in Bethlehem then stands in contrast to Mary. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's different than just wondering at the things that were happening. The wonder in Mary was more than a passing feeling of sentiment or excitement. It was wonder that she internalized, that therefore became a part of her, her heart and her soul. It was wonder that fed into her faith, her true and living faith in the saving work of God who was bringing his son into this world. So I'll ask us this morning, I'll ask you, beloved, what is our response to the birth of God's son that we celebrate today? Is it mere sentiment? Is it mere excitement in the festivities? Is it wondering, like the people of Bethlehem wondered at those things that they heard from the shepherds, but which was soon forgotten? Or do you follow the example of Mary, who kept all these things, treasured them up in her heart, and pondered them? Call our attention to the text, and the theme is Mary ponders all these things. Mary ponders all these things. First, we'll consider what it is that she had to ponder. Second, the benefit that this had for Mary. And then finally, the benefit that this has for us. Mary ponders all these things. First, what she had to ponder. Second, the benefit for Mary. Finally, the benefit for us. Well, by the time we get to verse 19 of Luke 2, Mary had many things to ponder. Just consider what this must have been like for Joseph and Mary when these shepherds arrived. Mary had just given birth to her firstborn son and was still recovering from that arduous task. The child was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, probably fast asleep. 
They were still in a barn or stable because there was no room for them in the inn. We can picture Mary exhausted from her labor and travail. It was nighttime. Everything was becoming quiet. Then, as out of nowhere, these shepherds come rushing into their presence and they go up to the manger to look for the child who's lying there wrapped in swaddling clothes. We're not told how many shepherds there were, but it could have been quite a few. They would have told Joseph and Mary why they had left their flocks by night and why they came into Bethlehem. They would have said something like this, we saw an angel, we saw an angel. And this angel told us that a savior was born this day in the city of David and that this savior was none other than Christ, the Lord, the one who we have been waiting for, the one who we have been praying for. And then this one angel who gave these good tidings turned into a multitude of the heavenly host that filled the sky and they were singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And we were told, the shepherds would have said to Joseph and Mary, we were told to look for a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And here he is, just as the angel said. Did the shepherds then take this child up in their arms and cradle him for a while, just like Simeon did and just like Anna would later do in the temple? Did they fall down on their knees and worship him like the Magi from the East would later do? Did they bring some small gifts of tribute? We're not told any such things, only that they came, they saw the child, and they left. And when they left, they went through the streets of Bethlehem to make known abroad the saying, must have been quite a whirlwind for Joseph and Mary, who had just gone through the labor and travail, and everything was becoming silent, and then these shepherds come, and as soon as they come, they're gone. And now in the quiet aftermath, Mary begins to ponder these things that have just taken place. All these things refers to more than just the coming of the shepherds and their story of the angels, though. This was not the first time that Mary had heard of angels announcing the birth of Christ. What the shepherds said must have reminded Mary of her own experience with an angel some nine months before this time when the angel Gabriel came to visit her in her house in Nazareth. Gabriel had told her that the power of the highest would overshadow her and that the child that she would give birth to would be a holy child who would be called the Son of God. Then Mary had gone on a visit to her cousin Elizabeth and had seen Elizabeth's growing belly when she was six months pregnant. She who was too old to give birth to children, who had been called barren, and yet here she was with her pregnant belly. Mary had seen the look on Elizabeth's face, the look of surprise when that child in her womb had leaped for joy at the sound of her salutation. She had heard Elizabeth's explanation as she was moved by the Holy Ghost. No doubt Elizabeth had told Mary about the appearance of the same angel Gabriel to her husband Zacharias in the temple sometime before this. Then there were all those things that happened to Mary personally as the one who was the mother of the Lord. She had conceived. She had conceived and felt this child 
growing and developing in her womb and carrying that child to term until she gave birth to her firstborn son. And all of this had happened to Mary, even though she had never known a man in a sexual way. She was a virgin. She had gone through the pregnancy and the child labor now and lay exhausted in a barn. First, no doubt, holding this child in her arms, looking in his face, just like any mother would do after a child is born, then wrapping him in swaddling clothes and laying him in that manger and watching him sleep. All these things were now in Mary's mind and in her heart, and she was pondering them. And now the shepherd's story is added to all these things that Mary is keeping and pondering in her heart. You take all these things together and boil them down to the center of Mary's pondering. What was she pondering? Well, she was pondering the reality that the Son of God was coming into the world. To ponder, what does that mean? Well, it means to meditate. Meditate. Meditation is the careful and slow turning over of ideas in your mind and in your heart and in your soul. One of the word pictures for meditation is the idea of chewing the cud. The cow chewing the cud. When a cow, children, when a cow takes a bite of grass, he doesn't just take a bite of grass and then chew it and swallow it. No, he takes a bite of grass and he chews it and he chews it and he chews it and he swallows it. And then later he regurgitates it back into his mouth, continues to chew it, continues to chew it, swallows it, does that again several times before that grass is finally fully digested. And this is the way God has designed cattle so that they can, as efficiently as possible, draw all of the nutrition out of the grass and bring it into their body to give them strength. And that's the, that's the idea of pondering and meditating as well. Except it's not grass that's being slowly chewed and digested, but it's ideas, it's happenings, it's works that Mary has been witness to and has been participating in. It's the slow and careful turning over of all these things that Mary has been witness to with the goal of understanding what's going on and applying this in her life and growing in wisdom. That's meditation and pondering. The word in the original Greek also has the idea of comparing and synthesizing, taking all of these events and comparing and contrasting them and synthesizing them together. Mary is taking all of these things that she has seen and heard from the angels and the shepherds and all the other experiences, turning them over in her mind, meditating on them, comparing, contrasting, synthesizing. And her goal is to tie together all the threads to get a full picture of what is happening. Right? She didn't have Luke 2 that she could just read through and have everything explained for her, or Luke chapter 1, or any of the gospel accounts. It was happening to her in real time. Somewhat as a side note, I'm glad that there was no such thing as Instagram in the days when Mary was there pondering these things. And I'm glad there was no such thing as a smartphone or as social media, because then Mary might have been more concerned with snapping pictures of her newborn child and updating her status than pondering these things. 
Social media technology has advantages. We're all aware of them. But one of the disadvantages is that it often becomes an obstacle, doesn't it, to pondering, to meditating, to deep, careful thought, running over of ideas in your mind, comparing and synthesizing with the goal of coming to deep understanding. Instead of bringing ideas together, what the technological world of the internet tends to do is to fragment ideas, fragment our minds and distract us and lead us off over here and lead us off over there instead of coming to a deep spiritual understanding of things. That's why I'd much rather see Christians go through the trouble of carrying one of these around. I know I'm kind of riding a hobby horse a little bit here, but I'd much rather see Christians carry one of these around than use a Bible app or something like that. Let's not allow technology, though it has its uses for sure, but let's not allow it to rob us of the deeply Christian act of pondering, meditating, deeply thinking and considering of truths that are beyond the immediate spheres of our lives. For Mary, then, what all this pondering made clear was that the child that she gave birth to indeed was the Christ. That's the common thread that was running through all these things that Mary had to ponder. That's what the angel Gabriel had told her. That's what Elizabeth had prophesied as the babe leapt in her womb. That's what the shepherds said that they reported as the words of the angel and the heavenly host. And that's what Mary herself could clearly see now that she looked in the face of this little child that she was holding in her arms and laying in the manger. This child, this baby, this little person here is God the Son, the Christ. Again, that's no small thing for Mary to come to that conclusion when you remember she didn't have Luke 2 in Luke 1 and the other gospel accounts. She did not have the later testimony of Jesus himself when he grew up and became a man. She had not seen the miracles that Jesus was going to do. We can conceivably wonder if we had been in Mary's position whether we would have questions like this. Was that visit from Gabriel just a dream? Did I imagine that? Did that really happen? Might the pregnancy of Elizabeth simply have been an unlikely coincidence? Sometimes, maybe an older woman does conceive and bear a son. Might the shepherds have come to the wrong place at the wrong time? But no, not when you take all these things. The visit from Gabriel, the visit to Elizabeth, the visit of the shepherds, her own pregnancy, her own giving birth, the face of the child himself, when you take all these things, and consider them, it all testifies to the reality that God is indeed at work, and this child indeed is his son. Now that brings us to the benefit for Mary in pondering these things. The benefit for Mary, on the one hand, is that by pondering these things, she was being prepared for her relationship to her firstborn child. Mary is going to have a close relationship to this person, this child that she has given birth to. In some ways, her relationship to Jesus 
will be just like the relationship of any mother with any son. Remember that though Jesus is God in the flesh, the flesh that he assumed to himself was not a superhuman human nature that was as exempt from bodily weaknesses. No, he needed to eat. He needed to sleep. He got sick. As a baby, he surely got a snotty nose sometimes. And therefore, he needed a mother who was going to wipe that snotty nose and who was going to take care of all of those needs, who was going to make sure that he had enough to eat, that he had enough to drink, that he was wrapped warm in his swaddling clothes every night and enabled to sleep. It's right to think of Mary holding Jesus, God's own son, in her arms, cradling him and singing to him nursery songs, just like a mother would do with any child. Jesus also was a person who lived in perfect obedience to the law of God his whole life, and his perfect obedience to the law of God includes the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Though Joseph and Mary would never need to use the rod and reproof to correct this son who was sinless, yet Jesus did make a point of submitting himself to their good instruction and correction with due humility. You see that later on. In Luke 2, when it tells the story of Jesus, grown up a little bit now as a 12-year-old boy, talking with the rabbis in the temple, and Mary and Joseph are all in a tizzy looking for him because he disappeared, and it's been days even since they've seen him. And when Mary and Joseph finally find him, Mary tells Jesus how frightened this made her and Joseph, and Jesus makes clear he must be about his father's business. Don't interfere with my father's work. But if you read Luke 2, verse 51, it's also careful to point out that Jesus did go home with his father and mother and was subject to them. So Jesus, though he's the Son of God in flesh, lived in that relationship with his father and mother such that he was subject to their authority. Jesus was also a baby who grew up to be a boy, who grew up to be a man, which means that he grew. Now, God never changes. God never changes. But God, the Son, assumed a real human nature. And human nature, by its very definition, changes. There's a process of growth. Jesus grew. He even had to learn things. Luke 2, verse 52 says that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And as with most children, many of the things that Jesus learned would have been on his mother's lap the songs that she sang him, the stories that she told him, the kind of environment that she created in the home for him. So in many ways, the relationship of Mary to her son, Jesus, would be just like any other mother-child relationship. And yet in other ways, Mary's relationship to Jesus would be very unique, incredibly unique. For one thing, Mary would have to watch this child Jesus grow up, not only, but grow up and take on the mantle of the Christ. And Mary was not one of those people who thought that the Christ was going to ride in on a white stallion and rebuild the throne of David and throw off the yoke of the Romans. She knew that the name Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, meant that he would save his people from their sins, as the angel had told them. She knew from Simeon, as we read later on in Luke 2, that a sword was going to pass through her own soul and that this child would be set for a sign 
for the rise and fall of many in Israel and a sign that would be spoken against. Did she know all the details of that? Did she know that this child of hers, when he became a man, would be beaten with a Roman scourge? Did she know that this child, when he grew up to be a man, would be nailed to a cross and would die by crucifixion? Did she know the extent to which he would suffer in the darkness under the wrath of God? Perhaps not. But she knew something like it must be coming. If he's the Christ, if he's the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, that explains why Mary pondered these things quietly that night and wasn't about to run from house to house in Bethlehem with the excited fervor of the shepherds. So that was part of the uniqueness of her relationship to Christ. She would have to watch him grow up and take on that mantle of the Messiah. On the other hand, Mary would have to live every day with the thought that this child, her child, the child that she felt growing in her womb that she now cared for was God the Son. God himself had come down into human flesh to now be cradled in her arms. There's usually a superiority of mother over her child, especially when that child is young and that superiority is reinforced every time a diaper is changed, every time a lunch is made, every time correction has to be given. But Mary is going to have to get used to the fact that the child that she's caring for here is the eternal one. God is here in her home, under her care. The one who is infinitely superior to her. The one who is in fact her creator and her redeemer. She was to bow and worship even as she went through the mundane tasks of being a mother to her child, cleaning him up, feeding him, wiping his snotty nose. This child is God in the flesh. And for you Christian mothers, though your children do not have that rank that the Lord possessed, yet as covenant children, those children are also called sons and daughters of God, aren't they? And you ought to keep that in mind as you labor with your children. Who is this person that I'm caring for every day? Who is this little person who's running around my feet in the kitchen? Who is this little person who needs discipline and correction sometimes? A son of God, a daughter of God, an heir of eternal life. That informs a lot about our parenting, doesn't it? Our motherhood, our fatherhood, the way we view our children, they belong to this one, Jesus. Underlying all of this, the real benefit for Mary when she pondered all these things is that her faith was strengthened and deepened. I love that expression in the text when it says that she kept, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart which means she was not only analyzing these things that happened or, or merely meditating on them from an intellectual point of view, but she, she, she kept them. Literally, she treasured them up in her soul 
She's like somebody who's gathering a storehouse of goods that are going to help her in the future, except the goods that she's storing up are not silver and gold, but the goods she's storing up are the memories of all these things that have happened to her. All these things that have been said and done at the time of the birth of Christ. She's keeping them, keeping them in her heart. And she's going to need that. That's why she's keeping them in her heart. She's going to need that in order to have confidence in light of this unique relationship that she does have with her son, Jesus. What's going to keep her as a mother from asserting herself over her son with an overbearing use of motherly authority? What's going to prevent her from being overwhelmed with a holy terror when she feeds this child and dresses this child and sings songs to this child, knowing that this child is God himself in the flesh, the holy God? What's going to enable her, Mary, to face that sword that's going to pass through her soul one day when her son lays down his life as the Lamb of God? What's going to enable her to get through all of this? The answer is faith. Faith. And not just faith abstractly, but faith in this very child, this person that she now is mother to, to whom she gave birth. Faith in him as the Messiah. Faith in him as the Savior of his people. You see, God is showing a lot of grace to Mary here by sending those shepherds to the manger with their story and by causing all of these things to happen to Mary to confirm her in her faith in this child. He's giving her all the material that she needs to ponder, to meditate upon, and to feed on as she undertakes this great work of being a mother to God the Son in the flesh. But in a beautiful way, what's of benefit to Mary is not only a benefit to Mary, it's a benefit to us as well. One way it benefits us is simply by ensuring that we actually know what happened here. We've been pursuing this Advent series on the story of Mary And we've been taking our text from Luke 1 and 2, and it's pretty easy to do that because Luke tells the story of the Advent mostly from Mary's perspective. And it makes you wonder, you know, Luke was working sometime after these days, and he tells us in the beginning of his epistle that he was interacting with people in order to get his source material. makes you wonder if there was a day when Luke sat down with Mary, not a young girl anymore, but a much older lady, having seen the whole life of Jesus and having her other children grown up and having seen the church take off, you wonder if Luke sat down with that old, wizened Mary and talked to her about these things. She had pondered them. She had treasured them up in her soul and in her memory. And now she tells Luke. And Luke, by the inspiration of the Spirit, writes them all down in the account that we have here. The Bible is inspired, of course, but it's inspired through the testimony and the witness of living human beings who saw these events happening in real time and space. Mary is keeping all these things in her heart. Maybe Luke's way of telling us that Mary was his primary source material for this part of Jesus' life. The more important point to realize here, though, is that we're dealing with real history. We are. Now, 2,000 years after this event, we're dealing with real history. These are not just myths. 
These are not cunningly devised fables. Mary saw these things. She heard these things. She treasured them up in her heart. And now we have the record of her experience in the inspired scriptures. The Son of God indeed has been born as foretold by the angels and as witnessed by many witnesses, but also by the very person who gave birth to him. That's a real advantage to us, to know this is reality. This is history. Another way it benefits us is by giving us such a beautiful example of how to respond to the coming of Christ ourselves. There's certainly something commendable about the excitement and the fervor of the shepherds going from house to house and telling the people of Bethlehem about the things that they had seen and heard. Their excitement contrasts strikingly with the indifference of the people of Bethlehem themselves who simply wondered at these things. Everywhere those shepherds went, they had a song of praise to God on their lips, and I hope that we too are excited. And I hope too that we have some of that fervor carry over into our own celebration of the birth of God's Son. But there's something strikingly beautiful also about Mary's response, isn't there? Quietly taking in all these things storing them up in her heart, running them through her mind again and again and again, pondering them. What is God doing? What is God doing in my life? What is God doing in the world? What amazing things, what amazing works. Maybe especially in our day and age when everything is so noisy and so busy and there's so little gravity to anything. I feel that anyway. Perhaps you do as well. There's something striking about Mary, sitting there quietly, pondering, meditating on Emmanuel, God with us. But the main benefit for us is not just that we know these things happened or that we have a good example of how to respond to them. The main benefit to us is exactly what it was to Mary. If all these things that Mary pondered in her heart are in our hearts also, And you know this child in the manger for who he is, the Son of God in the flesh, and you believe the testimony of the angels and the shepherds and of the Holy Gospel. That's exactly what God is going to use to strengthen your faith in his Son. By taking in all these truths from the Scriptures, storing them up in your heart, pondering them, meditating on them, running them over in your mind again and again and again, That's how God strengthens our faith. And again, not faith in a purely abstract way, but faith in this person, this person who was born for our salvation, born as the Redeemer, born so that he might die, and having died, to rise again. Pondering these things, meditating on these things, that's what's going to build you up. That's what's going to give you confidence to follow this Christ to submit unto his lordship. Like Mary then, beloved, let us celebrate Christmas this year in a similar fashion, keeping these things and pondering them in our hearts. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy son, Jesus Christ. What a wonder he is. What a blessing it is to know even just a little bit about him. And there's so much more that we have to learn. Pray, O Father, 
that thou open our hearts, expand our hearts, that we may treasure these things up inside of us and ponder them and meditate upon them. We pray that as we ponder these things, that our wonder at the birth of Christ will not be mere wonder, but it will be a true, deeply rooted faith in the person of thy Son, who was born not only, but who sacrificed his life for the salvation of many, including us and our children, we believe. We pray, bless us in our celebration today. Forgive our sins. In Jesus' name we pray.